Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years or so. If mm-hmm. it can kill us or bring us the food replicator from Star Trek, oh, we're in. Um, our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. Uh, we had a reverend mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. more. Uh, and we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. This is your friendly reminder that you can send us questions, thoughts, feedback, dreams. Uh, what are those uh, dream catchers? Remember those things you make in art class? Oh, you yeah, hang, yeah. You hang them on the wall. Baby, baby. You, can, you could send us one of those. Uh, you can't send it over Twitter, but you can send us the other stuff at Twitter at importantnotimp. Or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Um, you can also join thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. This tell, week's tell episode is uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, talking about sending homework into space, which uh-huh. is not an excuse to not do your homework. Uh-huh. It's a reason to definitely do your homework. Right. First one I've ever had. Right. Really. Um, our guest is Michelle Lucas. And boy, she loves wine and TV and cupcakes and teaching real astronauts, which was her job. She taught astronauts, which is like something that you do. But even more than all that, uh, teaching young people who aren't astronauts yet, but might be someday because of her. Yeah. This is a fun one. Let's listen to it. Okay. Our guest today is Michelle Lucas. And together we're talking about, hey, Brian, your homework is going to get shot into space. Oh where astronauts will finish it. Question, are you more likely to actually do your homework now? Is this rhetorical or no? But it's both. I Yes. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, welcome. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. For, for sure. We're so pumped to have you. Um, uh, happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is a pretty stellar way to spend my birthday. I'm not going to lie. Talking <laughs> with you guys is fun. Give, give it a little You've bit. You've spoken too soon. Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Um, okay, Michelle, just uh, just tell everybody who you are and what you do. So the 30-second uh, version yeah, is, uh, my, uh, my name is Michelle Lucas. I am the founder and president of Higher Orbit, a 501c3 nonprofit that uses space to get kids more interested in science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, and I come from a space background. I worked in the space industry in a technical field prior to doing this. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds amazing. I mean, seriously. Um, we're, I, I, we don't usually dig into, yeah, let's just do it now. We don't usually dig into like, tell us your whole life story. Right. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit about, because you were just mentioning off air, you are not the typical white gentleman at, at NASA <laughs> or in the, in the space industry. Could you just tell us a little bit about your uh, credentials and, and how you got there and what, what your past involved? I mean, not the creepy stuff, but the important stuff. <laughs> The good stuff. Sure. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago and I fell in love with space when I was a little girl. And people looked at me like I was crazy because what's this little girl talking about space and wanting to work for NASA for? Uh, and it stuck with me for my entire my entire childhood. I was lucky to get to go to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. I got to go to space camp. Such a great museum. Isn't it awesome? I, just, oh, I go back at least once a year. Yeah, we've established that we've got a Chicago connection and a Virginia connection here. This call mm-hmm. was clearly meant to happen. Clearly. Um, <laughs> so 
I went to college and I studied aerospace engineering and I studied communications. I then went to work for the John at the Johnson Space Center in mission control. I was a flight controller for the International Space Station for a little while. Wow. And I was also a technical instructor for astronauts. All I've ever wanted to do was work in the space industry. And uh, I was I felt so fortunate to have the opportunity to literally live my dream. Doing all of those things was phenomenal. I mean, I worked with crews that flew on the space shuttle. I worked with crews that flew on the space station. I worked with the underwater crews. And then life kind of changed. And I started doing some consulting away from NASA, Mm -hmm. started doing some educational outreach and just fell in love with working with students. And that's how Higher Orbits came to be. So my background is actually technical in mission operations. And if you had told me six years ago that I would be running an educational nonprofit, I'd have told you you'd lost your freaking mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) I love it and can't imagine doing anything else. That's super cool. I feel like Brian feels the same way every time he walks into our office, which is he's really got to live our dream, which is coming to a small above a liquor shop studio city office to record a podcast. Every single time I'm here. Very technical background as well. Hey, Uh, what I'm hearing is location, location, location. So, you know, whatever. Until the wildfires just sweep it all away. (laughs) Um, That is so cool. I took uh, my, I've got a, I've got a horde of children. I took my oldest, um, uh, to see the Apollo 11 documentary in the theater on the last day, because I just felt like what a amazing opportunity. And now he's totally hooked. We watched part of Apollo 13 the other day. Cause I was oh. like, look, man, it doesn't always go well. Uh, uh, awesome. You know, and uh, what's amazing. It was in the middle of his nap time. Uh, so we were, I said, you don't have to nap. You could uh, get to watch us. And shortly after Houston, we have a problem. He looked at me and goes, hey, man, uh, listen, this is really great. And I hope they make it. But I, I got to sleep. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I was like, cool, man. You, All you right. You. But he's into it. He's really into it. Uh, and it's just the coolest. That is. That's fantastic. Well, I say there are always two things that kids love, space and dinosaurs. And I don't know yeah. anything about dinosaurs other than, you know, a They're couple awesome. of the key ones. Like I know Sue the T-Rex and I know yes, what a brontosaurus is. Sure. But space, I can talk space. And so that's part of you know, part of why I love to do what I do. Awesome. Uh, I cannot wait to hear more about this. Yeah. All right, Michelle. So uh, what we're going to do, Quinn's going to uh, go over some, uh, what he thinks uh, he knows about what you do. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, way, way to serve it on up. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Well, we're having fun today. Uh, yeah, we're going to go over some context uh, uh, for, for our question here and, and what we're talking about and then uh, get into some action-oriented questions uh, that we can pardon me, that uh, that we can ask to uh, get to the heart of why we should care about what you do. Does that sound good? Sure. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so, Michelle, you cheated and listened to some of our uh-huh. earlier episodes or one or I don't know. <laughs> I, I, so you can never get that time back. Uh, but we, we'd like to start with one important question. On your birthday, instead of saying, tell us the rest of your entire life story, uh, Michelle, why are you vital to the survival of our species? Well, that's that is that's a tough question and mm-hmm. i did hear you ask that in the podcast i listened to you know at the end of the day i think every one of us has some geek in us some more than others and i think that by encouraging people to embrace their inner geek which is a lot of what i do with students is how our species not only survives but thrives and so i think my unofficial mission of trying to get students to embrace their inner geek because it opens up so many possibilities is uh, hopefully how I'm helping the survival of our species. 
I think that sounds pretty great. Yeah. I wish somebody would have done that for me when I was a kid. Well, that's a lot of what we're talking about. It's like, would this have gotten you to actually do your homework? And, and, and and, and, again, we'll get like, I, I was not nowhere near the world's best student. It was like sports and like, I thought science yeah. was cool and everything. And I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars, like all, all of the things. It's, it's all great, but oh man, there was sports and, and ladies and just, just all, not doing right. homework. Not even that I was doing anything sleeping. I mean, but if someone's like, we're going to shoot it into space. Well, that's a different question oh, man. entirely. Anyways. All right. So today we're talking about getting more folks and specifically, uh, more kids into STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, we have uh, relative to the rest of the world and just where we should be in general. I mean, clearly we can see that in our elected representatives. Um, we've fallen a bit behind, but not just more kids. We're looking for kids who aren't usually involved in STEM for a huge variety Absolutely. of stupid reasons, right? Uh, women, young women, girls, minorities, um, we we have done collectively a pretty piss poor job of getting them into STEM for again a huge variety of reasons. It's uh, it's too expensive. It's not in every school. We were late to the game. Our public schools are a mess. We have a huge lack of properly trained educators. What did Sally Ride say? Uh, you know you can't you can't be what you can't see. Yada yada. So in 2006, President Bush announced um, I think it was called the American Competitive competitiveness initiative uh, to strengthen science and tech education in the name of advancing innovation. A few years later, President Obama unveiled a program to train 100,000 new STEM teachers and track more girls and minorities into the fields. We've got tons of companies involved on a huge scale from Apple and Google and Microsoft. Uh, We've got groups like the Girl Scouts involved, and we've got more quote-unquote niche uh, sort of groups uh, like like yours doing a, a variety of different things from Code for America, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Code, and and so much more. I mean, coding itself, uh, it, the problem is is not going to save the day. We we know that that's going to change quickly. Silicon Valley isn't going to, and and, and starting a, a a software firm, a chat app in your garage is not going to save the day or get these people into a more equal and just economic situation, right? Um, much less advanced science. We need hands-on engineers and scientists who are going to build the next solar panels and wind turbines and satellites. Um, and STEM jobs are among the fastest growing uh, middle and income, upper income occupations in America. Um, Pew found that employment in STEM fields has grown by 79% since 1990, Damn. compared with 34% for all the other occupations. But women's rep- representation in computer jobs has actually declined since 1990, which is just Perfect. Uh, blacks and Hispanics continue to be underrepresented at nine and seven percent STEM workers, wow. and the ones that are there all uh, rightfully complain that they experience workplace discrimination. So this is why we can't have nice things, <laughs> because we—and I mean literally you and me, Brian, white guys—we've yeah. r- ruined it. So we need to involve these folks proactively. We need to get into their schools, offer programs like these to get them doing it early to help them see people that they can relate to, to light the fire, to encourage them, to support them. So that's what I want to talk about today is, is Brian, if, if I told you we were going to shoot your homework into space, mm-hmm. cause you, cause you won a competition yep. or whatever these variety reasons are, would you be more likely to do it? Michelle, what was, you said, if we looked back six years ago and said, you're going to be running this space education nonprofit, you just said, no way, man. What was the thing that lit your fire to make this move? How did you get here? Well, 
as I said, I've, I've loved space my whole life. And I came from a area that, let's face it, most students in my area weren't going to college. Mm -hmm. Certainly very few of them were studying engineering. In fact, when I said I was going to study engineering because I originally wanted to go to the uh, military academy and fly, that's a storm happened. I wasn't real sure. Like, oh, I want to fly airplanes, but that whole war thing, I don't know that I can handle that. Mm -hmm. So, okay, wait, so what do I do? Uh, go be an engineer. I'd never met an engineer. I didn't know what the heck that meant. Mm-hmm. And my, it didn't help that my brother was telling everyone, oh, my sister's going to go drive trains because to him, that's what an engineer was. <laughs> Which is understandable. Um, right. right. It, it, to, it, as you mentioned, Sally Wright said, you can't be what you don't see. Uh, sometimes some of us can manage to get past that. And I was fortunate in that case. But I found out about this lovely place that you guys have probably heard of. And if you haven't been, you have to go because it's available for adults to space camp. Man, I want to go to space camp so fucking bad. (laughs) Dude, they have adult space camp. You so have to go. And when you go, let me know because I'm going to come visit you. Well, maybe not, but we'll see. Now now it's out there. There's thousands of people that just heard you say that. So, uh, no, I definitely... Now I'm held accountable. Is it it as awesome? (laughs) Let me ask. Is it as awesome as I hope it is? Oh, it totally is. And I, I sound like I'm digressing, but that's really the that's genesis of why I decided to do what I'm doing. <laughs> wow. um, as a kid, I wanted to go to space camp and we couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom's response, so it wasn't exactly this. The paraphrase was, it sounds awesome, honey, but I'm pretty sure it's more than five bucks. So I'm pretty sure we can't afford it. And I sure. applied for a scholarship and I got to attend space camp on scholarship. So fast forward, I've gone to college and I've worked in dream jobs and I'm loving what I'm doing. And I feel this urge to to give back because I got to where I got because of the help of others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could just raise money for scholarships and that's great. But I wanted to be able to bring a space-inspired kind of camp to what I call the backyards of people's you know, communities. Mm-hmm. So that way people didn't have to travel and they would have the opportunity to be inspired by space like I was. And space inspires, whether you are five or 95, my grandfather who passed last year would call me on a semi-regular basis and be like, honey, what's this about this mission that's going to go to the sun or Whoa. things like that? At 90-some, he still inspired, was still inspired by space. And so that's really how it all came to be. I, I wanted to give back like some, like others had given back in a way that changed my life. And uh, the way to, for me to do that was in the field that I love and think can inspire so many. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're earning it and you're doing it right. when, when grandpa's calling and asking about those things, you know, because you've provided that link. It's personal now. Yep. Wow. That's cool. Well, and it's very interesting because my whole family, they're, they're all amazing. They, they follow along in the space industry and they can, my aunt, my mom. And so because of me being passionate about it from the time I was a young kid, it involved all of them as well because I loved it so much. And this is how we changed the world with respect to needing more students studying STEM. When you mm-hmm. can get one person super excited about it, they can excite everyone around them. And that makes everyone around them 
more aware of opportunities and how they can help students and helping to pass, you know, helping to get their representatives to pass legislation that is STEM friendly. And so I really believe that using space as that platform is, is a great way to, in some ways, I know it sounds Pollyanna, but in, in a lot of ways, it's a great way to change the world for the better. Uh, it's not Pollyanna. I mean, it's necessary. Uh, besides being awesome, it, it is necessary in, in a number of ways. Um, I mean, it, again, you could go down a huge variety of rabbit holes on this, but, you know, both from, you know, we have some serious problems we need to fix to also look at all the modern day conveniences that have come out of, uh, you know, our space research and the space industry that it basically everyone takes for granted, even if they yeah. know that it came from there, you know, uh, and then they mm-hmm. bitch when NASA gets another half cent on the dollar. Yes. Um, right. Well, you'd be amazed how many people will say, well, what do I need space for as they're looking at Google Maps on their phone right, or something right, like right, that? Yeah. I'm like, come on, do you right. not understand? It touches every element of our life. Today. GPS is telling them where to go. There yeah. was a, I just watched a little uh, a little Ricky Gervais stand up and he's talking about people giving him shit about, you know, I don't need science. And, you know, this is bull. And he's like, you're t- you're tweeting at me because of science. Science. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we all you, you would be nothing without it. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, so, okay, Michelle, you, you mentioned, you know, how you possibly, uh, you know, with your sparkly nails and such, there's, there's people that probably <laughs> say and look at you and say, Oh, well, you know, what is she doing here? She doesn't fit in. And that's super important. Did you, was there ever a time that you felt that you like needed to, to dial it back or change or be different? Oh my gosh. You are asking the $20 million question. Yeah. And when I run events with students, I tell them my story and I'm, I used to be very uncomfortable doing it. And astronaut Don Thomas encouraged me, look, you need to, you need to share because the journey is what people connect with. So let me go back a little bit further than dialing it back. When I was in elementary and middle school, I mean, all I wanted to talk about was space. I was the geek who wanted to talk about the rockets and the space (laughs) shuttles. I wasn't that interested in boys quite yet. I was into sports, but I didn't want to talk about the other things that normal kids talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I was weird, you know, I didn't fit in. And I was incredibly, incredibly bullied in middle school. I, uh, you know, I talked to kids. I'm like, yeah, I was the kid who was literally shoved into lockers. And they look at me now and they're like, I don't believe you. I'm like, well, go ask my mom. I used to cry because I didn't want to go to school. I hated it so much. Yeah. And I started to doubt myself with respect to, well, maybe I should be more like everybody. Maybe I should quit being a geek. And then I went to space camp. And that's where I say I found my tribe. I found other students who were like me. And I realized that it was okay to be me. It was okay to be a geek. And that's not to say that it made school any easier. Because <laughs> I still sure. got shoved in the locker. Uh-huh. But uh, it did help me cope a little bit better. So fast forward, I, I, I get into the, the work industry and I did dial it back. I was kind of the typical khakis and polo, which is what everybody wears at NASA mm-hmm. uh, to fit in, to blend in. And it took me going out on my own and being able to just answer to myself um, with you know, running my own companies to say, you know what? I like fashion and I like my nails to be sparkly Mm -hmm. and I like cool handbags and purses and shoes. And that's me. And you know what? I'm going to embrace that because guess what? You know what? Every teenage girl, okay, maybe not every, I shouldn't 
quite be that broad. Mm -hmm. Um, Most teenage girls, what do they want to look like? Kim Kardashian or Mm -hmm. pick your celeb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why can't we show them that you can be fashionable and smart at the same time? Mm -hmm. Now we can debate whether my fashionable is really fashionable or not. It's (laughs) Michelle fashion and I'm cool with that. Half of my closet has star clothes. (laughs) Hey, stars are cool. This is my jam. Stars are awesome. And so I just, I started embracing it. And it's interesting because I've gotten as much pushback from women as I do from men. I've Hmm. had a lot of women pushback of, you need to, you need to quit drawing attention. You need to fit in. You don't want them to come talk to you just because you look like you look. I'm like, that's fine. If they want to come over here because I'm wearing a dress instead of something that makes me look dowdy, great. Because it's going to take them about 30 seconds to find out, I know my shit. And then let's keep moving. And so I think it's important, again, to go back to Sally Ride's quote, people can't be what they can't be. Well, guess what? If girls, if if we are worried about teenage girls getting more interested in being STEM-focused or quite frankly, just being willing to be smart because they're worried that the boys will make fun of them, but they also want to care about fashion, we have to show them people who say, hey, you can do both. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think that's so important because we did mention above, you know, of the women and minorities who who are in the industry or the variety of industries under the STEM umbrella, uh, most of them have reported workplace discrimination in some way or another, whether it's informal or formal or or, or how outright it, it might be. I mean, it just, you know, doesn't I don't think it surprises anyone at this point, but it's not just about putting the resources in the classroom or having these nonprofits. It's, it's okay. Now those are there. How do we make people feel comfortable doing it being themselves? So they they don't go like, Christ, I gotta, I gotta go buy four pairs of khakis and four, four white polos, you know, to to be themselves and bring it to them. Cause that's how we end up with a, a much wider variety of perspectives without it being beaten out of them. Absolutely. And we are, our unique talents and our unique personalities are what make us good at, at the things we do. And so I, you know, my, my presentation to students is embracing your inner geek and whatever that means to you, but then also just embracing being you. Now, I will tell you that I have been so fortunate. Look, I, yeah, I have some horror stories. Everybody does. But you know what? There are jerks out there in the world, whether you're male or female, the color of your skin, whatever. I can tell you that my experience in the space industry is that they, I have a lot of female colleagues. I have a lot of female colleagues and I am a, especially in the human space flight realm, working at Johnson space center, I never felt like I was treated as lesser because I was a woman. People might've looked at me a little odd when I, you know, showed up with my big sparkly nails and but it, it didn't take long for them to be like, okay, you know, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want us to be careful. It, it, it's actually, it's very personal to me. We can go too far the other way. We all do have to work together at the end of the day. And sure. with my nonprofit, I work with high school aged girls and boys. And I'm seeing that high school boys are feeling very, kind of alienated in some ways because they're like, Hey, wait, I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I the bad guy all of a sudden? It's like original. And so 
Exactly. And so I, I think it's just really important that we remember that uh, the sins of our fathers, shall we say, are not the, you know, are not the sins of the children. And so I think that 20 year olds and, and, and early 30 year olds, you know, people are a lot more accepting of a lot. You know, the old regime is kind of on the way out. Mm-hmm. And let's face it. Thank God. 40 years ago, no, women didn't have a seat at the table in in aerospace. And I speak to aerospace because that's, that's my world. Sure. Um, but we've had a seat at the table for quite a while. And the people who are at the top are maybe not evolving as fast as we would like mm-hmm. because they come from that old guard. Sure. But the younger, you know, the, the, the younger managers, I, I have high hopes. I really, really have high hopes for things in the workplace. Uh, well, that's, I mean, it's great to hear because, uh, and, and I mean, we're seeing it across across industries, I mean, wherever you look, which is, you know, the baby boomers, for, besides having ruined everything, uh, are are getting older, they're retiring, mm-hmm. or they're having a hard time letting go, or, you know, uh, you know, blaming millennials for more or less everything, much less Generation Z. But there is there is a hell of a tide of change coming. So uh, hopefully that just makes the whole situation for boys and girls and everything in between, you know, much more receptive. Absolutely. It's going to be nice. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, Higher Orbits, your business, how it works. You know, you've obviously got some connections in the industry, but how does one uh, work with NASA to, to build a relationship like yours and, and to build your company? And is it is it typical? Is NASA open to, to more relationships like this? So with Higher Orbits, we run a program called Go for Launch, where students compete to have their science flown to the International Space Station. And much to everybody's surprise, I don't actually work directly with NASA to make that happen. Mm. With the commercialization of space, the opportunity to put things on the International Space Station is much more open than it ever has been. If you tried to fly experiments to the space station, let's say even 10 years ago, under the way... Uh, regulations were set up, the process was set up. It would take forever. In fact, my first job when I worked uh, at Johnson Space Center starting in 2000 was I sat on the payload safety review panel uh, for the safety, reliability, and quality assurance contract. Yeah, that's my mouthful. <laughs> um, and the process was just so, I mean, honestly, it was painful. And it, it would be impossible as an outsider to come in without some help. And it would take, and it takes years. Well, with the the size increase of the International Space Station and commercialization, there are partners that sign what are called Space Act agreements, where you can work with these partners and get your science flown to space. So we work with a company called Space Tango out of Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, and they are our integrators. So we've signed contracts with them. They've signed Space Act agreements with the Center of Advancement for Science in Space which is who manages half of the International Space Station in cooperation with NASA. I know it's very convoluted, right? This, Flow chart, this is great. You know, great. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you some crayons because that helps. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it becomes effectively a pay-to-play. If you have money, you can fly science on board the International Space Station. Wow. And so we are fortunate to work with Space Tango. Uh, it's for a fee. We work with them. They build the payload. They take it through the safety process. They get it manifested, meaning get it scheduled to be launched, get it on the rocket and send it up to the International Space Station. And we have done that in a time frame as short as six months 
from us giving them the experiment idea to the launch of the experiment. And wow. that's, I mean, that's unheard of in some ways. I mean, think about it. Come on, it probably takes you six months to, you know, I don't know, do some major project at your house, never left off the planet. Right? Oh, absolutely. That so, is wildly uh, fast for it's space. Exciting. It's, you know, it's one of those things that it's science fiction in some ways becoming science facts. And being able to send student science to the International Space Station Talk about changing your world. You guys are joking about doing your homework, but you're, it, it's, it's not really a joke. I mean, when you open up the possibilities like this, it does make students more inclined to do their homework or study STEM or just be more engaged. That's so, that's wild. That's so rad. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, <laughs> so uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that's been sent up there? Yeah. And so for context, all of these experiments, with the exception of one, are students in grades eight through twelve. We did do one middle school experiment, uh, one middle school program, uh, but all the rest has been high school. And so the ideas are completely up to the students. Now we do give them some parameters. It has mm-hmm. to fit inside a four-inch cube. They're mm-hmm. not allowed to blow anything up. Yeah, I would have to give you guys that parameter. <laughs> I can see you guys. You want to explode things, set things on fire. We can't do those. Things. I started thinking about that <laughs> right as, as you started. Michelle, I don't this. appreciate your sweeping generalizations uh-huh. just because. Because well, you've known us for 20, your, what are we at? 28 your minutes. true 20 minutes? Sweeping Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Okay. Not at all. Okay. Not so, at all. I was so, saying to my wife ahead. the other day, I have two boys and a girl. And, and again, this is a <laughs> sweeping generalization that is not true. But my girl who's in the middle looks at her brother's like, what is wrong with you? Like, why is your gut instinct like <laughs> knock this down, physicality, right. grunting, right. like blow things up? I just don't understand. And it's just like, how did that happen? Anyways, it, yeah, it, it's just it's part of it's part of the DNA, apparently, I guess, because oh, that's so that's why I have to say you can't <laughs> blow anything up. You can't, you know, no, we can't fly uh, Ebola and they can't fly oh, animals God. like mice or anything with a backbone. Uh-huh. But other than that, it's up to them. And so we've had a wide range. We've had everything from uh, we flew bees last summer we flew some some bees we have flown radiation eating fungus who knew that was a thing wow i want to know about that from durham right um we have flown a radiation experiment where they were testing some radiation shielding on e coli we've done some biology we did a plant experiment on nitrogen fixation in plants and so, as you can see, they're a mealworm. So, as you can see, they're kind of all over the board. And that's what's so exciting to me is these students, if you give them the opportunity, they come up with some amazing ideas. I'll tell you what, I'm glad I don't have to compete with them because I could never think of ideas <laughs> as good as theirs are. And I have no knowledge in depth on any of these experiments. These are truly the students' experiments and their ideas. And I do my best to not to not interfere because I'll just mess it up. I mean, they're going to do awesome. They All they need is for me to go, okay, is this safe? Is that safe? Have you thought about this? But if I got into the nitty gritty with them, I, I'd just mess it up because their ability to think outside the box, which I know is ironic because I'm making them put it inside a box. <laughs> um, but their ability to think outside the box is uh, one of the great strengths that they have that unfortunately, at some point we end up beating out of them through school and college and work. I can't imagine as a 16-year-old what I would suggest that we send 
options, basically. I can't imagine now, as you're a 35 year old, what you would suggest that we send it. I mean, yeah, it's a good poem. Ah, oh, that is that is so cool. So, just some quick uh, practicals. How does one? Um, where is your program? How does one get into your program? Is it by school? Is it by student? Is it application-based? So we run this program all across the country, and you can find out the cities that we'll be in on our website, higherorbits.org, and it's orbits with an F, like as in a planetary orbit, not that travel website kind of orbit. Oh, got it. Uh, and we work with a variety of hosts. We've been everywhere from we've been in the Frontiers of Flight Museum. We've been in the San Diego Air and Space Museum. We work with universities and high schools. We work at St. Edwards University. We've been at Watkins Memorial in Pasadena, Ohio. And we've also been in the gym of the Boys and Girls Club in Lemonster, Massachusetts. And so we are very flexible. And we work with a wide variety of folks. From an application perspective, anybody who wants to attend who fits the grade range is welcome to attend. It is not a, you have to, you know, be the superstar to get in. Uh, we run between 15 and 20 programs a year, and we're always adding new programs as, as we can. Our goal is not to turn everybody into a rocket scientist. So being a rocket scientist is certainly cool, mm -hmm. but we want to use space as a way to show students the myriad of opportunities that exist if they're willing to put some effort into the STEM subjects. And there's great programs out there, like you mentioned, the coding programs, and there's Team America Rocketry Challenge, and through robotics and things like that. Our goal with Go for Launch is to, yes, reach the students who already are interested in space and STEM. But I'm even more interested in the kids who are like, you know what, science sucks. But hanging sure. out with an astronaut for two days, well, that would be cool. That, that basically and, makes anybody call. You can call your bluff on anybody, right? Anyone who's like, oh, yeah. I don't want to hang out with an astronaut. It's like, well, you're just, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> yes. you're incorrect. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so we've been fortunate to to be able to reach a wide variety of students. And you know, some of my favorite stories are are not necessarily the STEM rock stars that come in. I was mm -hmm. in Massachusetts and I had a parent walk in with her two boys and she's like, Oh boy, we'll see how this goes. And I looked at her and I'm like, uh, what, 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 what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, they just like video games and football, but I'm making them come to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh boy, yeah. how is this going to go? You know, how, how is this day going to go? Sure. And, and the boys were both great. And they asked awesome questions of the astronaut that was there. And they everything is done in teams. And mm -hmm. so they, they worked really well with their team. And they didn't know two of the kids who ended up on their team. Day in, blah, 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 come in the next morning. And the mom walks in again and goes, what did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, what, did, what did I do? Did could, I say something I'm not? Yeah, I'm like, did I say something I'm not supposed to? Because I'm really good about not cussing in front of the students. But I'm like, maybe I slipped. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she's like, last night. She goes, normally at dinner, the answers are fine. Okay. Yes. She goes, I couldn't get them to shut up for an hour and a half. They wanted to tell me about how the astronaut said this and Miss Michelle said this. And did you know on a spacewalk, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, they man, wouldn't shut cool. up. I mean, it's the coolest subject in the world. Yeah. And it, everybody loves it. Exactly. And these are kids who were not necessarily very interested in STEM to right. start with. And so those are the stories that 
that I love to tell because people think, well, this program's not for my kid because my kid doesn't like science. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. This is exactly the program for your kid if they don't like science or math, because maybe they'll realize, hey, what I think of as science and math, there's so much more out there as opportunity. I just don't know about it yet. And I hope to show them. I love it. I mean, what a tremendous opportunity. So how do you guys, so, so how do you, you said you're in, in, in 15, 20 a year, I think you said, how do you decide yep. where to, where to actually go and where to host those Do Do places reach out to you? Do you pick them? What, what is the, just for anyone out there who's like, boy, that would be fun in my school or right. how does that work? So a, a little bit of both. It started off with me making connections with people that I knew across the country to hold the events. And, and our goal is to come back to the same cities year after year if we can, because we want to establish relationships. When, you know, Susie comes to camp, but her little brother isn't quite old enough, you know, we want to be there when he's old enough to go. And so we now, it's a variety of past locations that we've worked with and people reaching out to us saying, hey, we'd love to host. Um, obviously, there's a financial component that comes with it, and we work with partners and sponsors to, to help support that. Um, but we are open to having this event anywhere that is interested. And like I said before, we're happy to be in fancy digs like you know, a museum. We're also happy to be in the gym. We just want to reach as many students as we can. Do you ever feel compelled to go to, you know, like Gary? <laughs> Back, back to where I, where I came from. That's right. I, I actually do. I, 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 it's on my list of places to try and make work. Um, even though it sounds crazy, the fact that I'm from there does not necessarily mean that everybody runs up and goes, hey, here's you know partnerships and sponsorships to help financially make this happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the kind of area that we do need the financial support. Um, the program is a pay-to-play program where students pay a fee to attend the, the event. Now, in some locations, like Durham, North Carolina, we had amazing support from the Durham Library Foundation. And no student paid to attend any wow. of the six events that we we had. And so some locations, we need that so we yeah. can adequately reach folks. Now, other locations, they're a little bit you know, more financially solvent. Mm-hmm. And we're able to get sponsorships to where students who have a financial barrier, we can give a scholarship to. But then the students who don't have that financial barrier, you know, mom or dad can can pay for it just like they do any other camp. So what is it, two questions, uh, what is it, literally how much uh, does it cost to put one of these on? And two, on a micro level, what is it for for the pay-to-play? What is sort of an entry fee to to participate? So I will give you the context of, in general, to fly a payload the size of our payload into space, the rack rate, starting rate is about $55,000. Um, so it's not cheap. And, yeah, wow. Uh, oh, the part we haven't talked about it that much is that there's an astronaut there for the whole event, not like one talk, 12 questions out the door. Astronaut is there for the whole event. Oh. And so um, there's obviously a cost associated with that. Uh, there's other parameters. It kind of depends. If, if you take a look at our website, you'll see that we run series of events, meaning that we're able to break apart the cost of the experiment launch over various events. And so a single event, depending on a whole variety of parameters, can cost between 30 and 
$75,000 to run. We've had some places that wanted to guarantee a launch from their particular event, and that obviously ups the cost. Um, But for a student to attend, I have worked really, really hard to keep this as low as we can and consistent across all of the events. So a two-day event is $250, and our three-day events are $300. Now, that includes all supplies, and we feed them lunch and snacks and breakfast. You have kids. You know. They're very food motivated. Oh, by the (laughs) way, so are astronauts. Um, (laughs) um, And so it's on par with other STEM events. But our hope in 2020 especially is to get to where we have the partner and sponsor support that no student's paying more than $50 to attend any of our events. Um, so that's my my big, huge goal. And mm-hmm. I'm going to keep uh, keep charging for it in hopes that we can get there. Brian is rifling through his wallet as we speak. <laughs> do, do, you, do you guys... Hey, I, <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. I don't know what to say. I believe every dollar helps. So Brian, if you, even if you got two bucks, I'll take it. Right? Unclear I if don't. he has two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. To, there's nothing in the wallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he just rifles through it every once in a while. That's, I feel like that's a pretty... That's very a, deep. Well... Yeah, you would it's a, too. That's a totally different discussion. That seems like um, a really reasonable price. It's it, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It uh, it it does. I mean, you know, we, you know, the more we can get these corporations that pay zero, zero taxes mm-hmm. uh, to come in and and participate and and help and do the right thing, um, the better. And I think that's a awesome goal. To if you can get it down to fifty bucks, that's that's pretty spectacular. Do you, Michelle? Do you offer freeze dried ice cream? You know, it's so funny that you ask that because every student loves the astronaut ice cream. I mean, it's like sticks in my head. Brian's a child. So I'm basically a child. I remember that so much. I'm pretty sure they we had it at the Museum of Science and Industry. They sold it there and you could walk around eating it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they do different team challenges where they're competing for what we call space flag. Got it. And uh, one of the space flag items is sometimes the ice cream. But, you know, we never actually flew that in space. The astronauts don't actually eat that stuff. Well, I'm going to continue to believe that they do. Yep, I'm just going to, we're going to cut that part right out. (laughs) Editing that out. They eat it, they love it. I was totally mistaken. We'll just ignore that I said that. I I was losing my mind. (laughs) You're a monster. Uh, So uh, how do you think we can uh, work to to improve a broader, you know, STEM environment in in public schools, for example? Um, You know, if you were secretary of education, where where would you start? And, you know, obviously funding varies state to state and, and so does curricula. And that's a whole other conversation we can have. But uh, let's say you could create a, a race to the top that actually worked. Okay. So if I stay away from the monetary element of, of education or educational challenges, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm amazed how many teachers I talk to that they are so hindered by these state tests and having to teach to these mm-hmm. stupid tests mm-hmm. that they can't include curriculum that is interesting to the students. Mm-hmm. And space is one of those things that is frequently not taught because it doesn't fit within whatever they're going to test on these damn tests. Mm-hmm. And so I would do an overhaul of the whole concept of, look, we have to make science, math interesting for students because more than ever, they have a billion ways to entertain themselves yeah. that is not school. And so if we don't provide something that is entertaining in some way or relevant, why would they embrace it? And the idea of just teaching from a book and not giving real world is just, it doesn't work. 
Mm-hmm. We have to give students hands-on experiences that tie back to something that is meaningful to them in their daily lives. And with a space perspective, I mean, come on, you've, you've already mentioned, you know, Twitter, phones, GPS. And so showing students how things are relevant in their day-to-day life. And so I would take science and education in general and put it on its, on its side of, yeah, you need to know the facts and the facts are important, but you also need to understand how it's relevant to your everyday life. I mean, come on, you guys, you went through math class or algebra and you're like, what is this ever going to matter? Why sure. do I care? Sure. And, and so you don't embrace it. You don't, you don't take it on. But if somebody could show you, okay, I know you think this sucks right now and I'm not going to argue with you because it kind of does, mm-hmm. but you have to know this so that way you can be the person who is launching satellites that are going to help your phone work. Mm-hmm. Then it changes it for kids. Then it totally opens up the aperture of how they view things. And and at the end of the day, the the teacher like from Ferris Bueller's day off that we've all had has got to go. We have to have teachers who are engaging and passionate because that is how you get students to be engaged and passionate about these subjects. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, obviously, we need to to pay them a lot more to to help them yeah. <laughs> to be passionate, so them. they can uh, not have to have twelve jobs and and yep. uh, so uh, yeah. incredible organizations like Donors Choose don't even uh, have to exist um, because they shouldn't have to buy their own classroom supplies to make that practical connection and and reality. I mean, you know, again, we can go down that hole, but I. I like where you're going with like, again, it comes back to like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Like if, if you can't make that exciting connection, if we yeah. can't make that, make that the standard in the classroom, you know, that it has to be, uh, that it has to be involved. It has to include visualizations and, and connections to real world applications, whether it's looking at it as, um, you know, here's the list of opportunities it applies to, or here's the list of real world problems it applies to. You know, we, we had a conversation in one of our previous episodes, uh, one of our, sort of side episodes um, about <clears throat> how college majors and things like that need to change to be more oriented towards the real, towards, towards the real world. Um, and, you know, so if you're, you're not just a political science major, you might be a, um, uh, or, uh, you know, maybe not political science, but maybe it's like, uh, you're not just a, yeah, maybe you're not political science major, but you're majoring in India, Pakistan relations. And so do you, so you right. study sociology and anthropology uh-huh. and Indian history and Pakistani history and, and political science and religion. And, you know, you study, uh, you do a little military history and, and things like that so that you come to these things with a comprehensive understanding of like, this is what's happening in the real world or what could come or what you could build. And it doesn't have to start in college or university if we want to be European about it. Um, but it does help kids. Again, kids are so much more connected to the world than they've ever been. Um, they they can go home and find out about this stuff. They can go on Wikipedia and find out about this shit and go, oh, that'd be cool. I have an idea. It just starts with like, I have an idea, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and they can't do that. It's not their fault uh, if we don't put that in front of them. So I kind of heading that way, I want to pivot a little bit here, which is we talked about this. We we have talked about before, which is like, I am not a STEM major. Brian is definitely not a STEM major. Whoa. I have, 
no STEM background aside from like, I've always loved science and technology and, and I've turned that into writing sci-fi movies and TV and other stories and things like that. And, and, and building this little business to help people be aware of it. But, but there is a, there's a confluence there, which is, which is turning it into writing. You know, it's, it's the A part in STEAM, the arts. Um, so we've talked yep. about STEM, which is, uh, you know, writing and philosophy and religion and political science and, and things like that and, and anthropology and sociology. So but while we clearly need to get so many more varied folks into STEM, part of our problem, a, a different problem, connected problem, is that some of the folks that are in STEM leader position, <laughs> leadership positions these days, which is, again, ding, 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 mostly white guys, um, and it's usually in the technology front, uh, have more or less ignored the arts. And we are paying a hell of a price for that. Well, uh, you know, they, they've broken society. You know, where's the, where's the chief liberal arts major executive to ask the chief technology officer, should we do this? Uh, what problem is this trying to solve? Uh, how have people tried to solve this problem before? How does this affect people's lives or their livelihood down the line? What does this mean for our companies or our countries or our humanitarian values? Um, or in the case of climate change, it's it's a it's a lack of storytelling, right? Um, it's very clear, and and now it's become part of the discussion that facts didn't cut it, facts aren't cutting it. Um, clearly, we we have to do a better job with the storytelling to to get people where it counts again, their values, their emotions, yep. right? To make it get, get close to them. I mean, shit, we just talked about you're celebrating your 21st birthday by watching drinking wine and and watching The Big Bang Theory, right? There's there's so <laughs> many ways to elevate science and to incorporate it into our day-to-day lives and, and the reasons why it matters and why it's exciting and what we can do with it, whether you're into Star Trek Discovery or you're a TNG nerd or you're just not and you just like rocks or whatever it might be. So <laughs> I'm curious, what, what role do the arts have in, in your life and how do you see that being a part of, of how you build things going forward or, or what do you, where is it being done well or where could it be done better? I, I'm, curious and and it, that that part is important to me. Well, and and I'm going to take arts into a slightly larger context than what please, people normally please. think of with arts. I'm going to take it more to the the liberal arts side of things in the, in the context of communication. A lot of the things you've talked about are are communication issues. We suck as a society at communicating. Yes. Yeah, great. We can get on our phones and text and and read whatever is put in front of us that came through Facebook or, or whatnot, but actual communication and person-to-person communication is becoming an issue. If you can't tell the story, then why would anybody care? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's something that the space industry has not done a fantastic job of for a long time. Yeah, we can say space is amazing, but for you know a couple decades, people are like, yeah, so what? Because, you know, we hadn't landed on the moon and then especially when the space shuttle quit flying. I mean, we haven't landed on the moon since, you know, almost 50 years ago. Well, 50 years will be the first moon landing this uh, July. And so one of the things that we... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and then the Martian comes along and and NASA applications (laughs) go through the roof. It's like, yeah, but we can't just rely on that. Well, and you're exactly right. But it's putting, going back to the topic we just talked about, making it applicable and making it exciting. And so one of the things that we really work with students on, in addition to the STEM leadership and teamwork, is communication. You have to be able to communicate. And one of the things that I love about communication, and it's one of my majors, is the ability to to tell a story. 
And I tell students that don't think about giving a presentation as being something scary. Think of it as you're a storyteller. You get to be you, going back to our topic earlier. You get to be you. You get to show your personality and your communication style and tell the story how you want to tell the story. Even if it's fact-based, you still get to control the narrative with your storytelling techniques. Mm -hmm. And I think telling the story is so, so incredibly important. Um, It's one of those things that I actually am a big believer that NASA is doing a good job of right now in talking about going to the moon in 2024. They're appealing to the idea of the story, the fact that it's been 50 years since we first stepped foot on the moon, and the idea that the next boots on the moon hopefully will be by 2024, if all goes according to plan, and they are consistently saying the next man and the first woman. Mm -hmm. And that opens up. It it opens up so much discussion, discussion and so much conversation from an art perspective. There's art in everything. If you look at design and engineering, even within a rocket engine, there's overlap between technology and engineering nature and art. And so whether you are an art major or not, and let's be very clear, my sick people look funny. I have no artistic talent at all whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I appreciate the elements of art that exist in things. And I think that art is a very important part. Look at every space mission. It has a mission patch to tell that story in an artistic way. And that's something we do with all of our student teams. They have to create a mission patch. That's one of the first things that they, well, something they do on the first day as a team. Mm -hmm. And that tells the story better than facts sometimes, because let's face it, you start talking numbers and half the room zones out. And as you mentioned with climate change and just about anything else political, facts don't necessarily change people's minds. Stories do. And so I believe that communication and storytelling, whether it's it's verbal or it's through art, I think that's a crucial piece to doing better in STEM. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 makes such a difference. It it makes it all so much more. It's it's you know it's like giving my dog uh his, his pills with peanut butter. It just makes it better. <laughs> You know, and peanut butter is amazing, yeah. and the the Martian is amazing, and Apollo thirteen is is amazing, and and Big Bang Theory is amazing for 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 so many people. You know, fuck the haters. It's if that's what gets it done, then then that's then that's fantastic. Um, whatever. Well, I got a I got a Big Bang Theory for you guys. Since you live above a liquor store, your office is above a liquor store. <laughs> here's a great a great party game to play with your friends who watch Big Bang Theory after a beverage or two. After so which Big Bang character do you think I am? And which Big Bang character do you think you are? And it's uh, really funny to watch people flounder on that. It's it's, it's quite entertaining. Fascinating. <laughs> I like that. We're going to have to, we'll do that. We might have to do a whole fun talk on that. We can do that. I'm down. Yeah. Um. Hey, so what, what and we're getting close to time here. We don't want to keep you forever. What What are the biggest obstacles you're running into these days to to doing your job well, to continuing to build and grow? For me, my biggest obstacle is desire to stay small and organic because I want the I want our programs to remain very intimate. I mean, I don't want to be having five, six hundred students at a single program because then they lose that individual attention, which I think is so important. Mm-hmm. 
but to do that, you know, it means it means it costs more money because you can't amateurize over a larger number. And so grants are really hard to get and they're very time consuming. And so at the end of the day, I'm like the average entrepreneur uh, funding. I, you know, I, I would love yeah. to be able to just go and run these programs for as many students as I can without having to spend part of my time asking for donations of donuts in the cities that I'm in. And that sounds cheeky, but I literally do. I ask for donut donations in the cities I'm in. Mm -hmm. And so I keep joking that if I find out George Lucas is my long lost uncle, that would make life so much easier. Unfortunately, (sighs) Ancestry.com has failed me in that. Uh, I think they're wrong. You never know. know, Never know. You never know. Um, So for me, that is my biggest challenge. And I think that's probably not uncommon with anybody else who is a small entity and organization. Um, I try and say, which we stay very lean with our organization. I don't want to be a big fat nonprofit that is making, that president is making ridiculous money. I won't even get into my, you know, soapbox on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without it, as they said in the right stuff, no bucks, no buck Rogers. Well, no bucks, no programs to inspire these students. And so at the end of the day, it it comes down to funding. Uh, I feel fortunate that I've got great support from so many astronauts and people in the space and STEM communities. And uh, we do see a wide wide range of students. Uh, Organically, we are 40% female. I don't target women specifically, but about 40% of our participants are female. I think that goes back to um, a chick being who's leading all of this, they see a chick and they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I can do that too. And so that's, you know, I hear that as a problem to some people, but but that's not one of ours. So at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents, but I would do this for free if, you know, if, if it all worked out that I could pay for everything else and I could pay my bills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so um, all right. So listen, our goal is, as we mentioned, to provide some specific action steps our listeners can take to support your mission uh, with their voice, their uh, vote, if the time is right and their dollar. So let, let's let's kind of finish with that. So with their voice, um, let, let's shine a light on where we need to go as a, as a people. What are the big, actionable, but specific questions the rest of us should be asking of our representatives? Well, first and foremost, you should be asking of your representatives if they don't have a science technology background and they're making decisions on science and technology issues, where are they getting their information? And it's your job as a constituent to get smart on these topics and talk to your representatives. At the end of the day, it's a space program. I I think the current number of spinoff dollars is for every dollar into the space program, it's like eight to 10 comes back into the economy with spinoffs. Look, we're not just incinerating dollars to launch a rocket. It's jobs. It's good jobs. It's spinoffs. And so educating yourself about those kinds of topics is incredibly important. And if you are educated about these topics, sharing with friends, family, et cetera, who maybe are not as smart on it. Um, Because let's face it, we all need to care about this if we want to remain um, in a position of power when it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math. We've got to educate our students. And as such, we have to educate ourselves as well. Sure. Love it. And and, and what about uh, their dollar? What what can we all be doing with our hard-earned cash? Get specific. Well, 
Well, with your hard-earned cash, you can visit the Higher Orbits website and make a donation. Also, in local areas, we're always looking for sponsors and partners. And so, yes, I'm selfishly, please go donate to Higher Orbits. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and so it is tax-deductible. But I believe we all win together. So if you have a STEM organization that is near and dear to your heart, all of us STEM organizations have the same challenges. There's just never enough money. And so by investing in STEM for students, you are truly investing in the future of not just this country, but this planet. And so that's an investment that is worth making. And so I encourage everyone to invest more in our students because they are they're inheriting a world that has a lot of challenges, that's overpopulated, that has a myriad of issues that we've all created and they're going to have to solve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a real, uh, yeah, they've, they've got some shit coming their way. I mean, I think they're very aware of that, which is why they're doing yeah. their school strikes and everything, but boy, things are, things are changing. The times are changing. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for doing this and for talking with us today, especially on your birthday. It has oh, been incredible. God. She's had better birthdays. She's definitely sure. had better birthdays. Yeah. Um, no, we really appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll let you go after our little, our little lightning round, if that sounds okay. Of course. And no, sincerely guys, this was fun. This was a good way to, I always like meeting new people. And even if I've only met you guys through the phone, um, I love to meet people who are trying to do good things in the world. And so thank you for inviting me to be on. And you guys are fun. This was awesome. You think it's just through the phone until Brian shows up at your wine and Big Bang Theory party tonight. <laughs> <laughs> With his happy I'm birthday you, costume I'm gonna, on. I'm going to shed a tear tonight. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm uh, very sad the show is ending. I get it. I get it. Well, what, what can come out of the ashes? What's next? Uh, besides young Sheldon. Right. All right. Last few questions. Michelle, okay. when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change, the power to do something meaningful? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that didn't come until probably my mid to late 20s. I just felt I, I never thought that I was anything more than a tiny little piece of the puzzle. And the reality is, is we're all a tiny little piece of the puzzle. But that was when I started to realize that my voice mattered and that if I decided to take a stand on something and work towards something that I could be somebody who helped make a difference. And uh, it was uh, in helping a student uh, get a scholarship to, to go to a university that they really wanted to attend. And uh, I realized that while that may be only one person, but that helped their change their life and how many people's lives would they change. And so that was when I realized that even the smallest of actions can have really big uh, ripple effects. I love it. Who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh, somebody in my life that has positively impacted my life, my work life. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Astronaut Don Thomas. We have this very strange connection. He, I met him 20 years ago when he came back from STS 83. He didn't remember me. I found the picture. Of course, we look exactly the same now as we did then. Uh, but he is a huge STEM advocate. He flew in space four times. And he is someone who is always encouraging me to never give up, no matter how bad of a day I'm having. Because while I sound like Susie Sunshine and all is well, there are days that... <laughs> 
<laughs> like, oh, can I keep doing this? And his passion for inspiring students all across the globe inspires me on a daily basis. And his willingness to support Higher Orbit positively impacts me and this organization in ways that I'll never be able to repay him. And so I would say astronauts on Thomas. That is super awesome. Boom. That is super awesome. One of these days, we're going to get a podcast with someone who's up on the floating up. Is it 217 miles above us? Uh, We're going to do it. Um, I should probably fix up the computer first. (laughs) (laughs) Priorities. Priorities. Minor detail. Uh, Hey, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed, Michelle, specifically? Specifically. Uh, well, for me specifically, my first thing is I'm a venter. Like I need to get it out and kind of, ah, and then I eat, <laughs> I eat a donut with sprinkles or a cupcake because I <sighs> eat my feelings. Yep. Amazing. And then I buckle down. You know, I let myself have that time, that little bit of a pity party or that little bit of venting frustration. And then I remind myself why I do what I do. And I have some beautiful emails from parents and students that sometimes I'll pull out. But at the end of the day, I think we all get frustrated and I think that's normal. And I think to say it's not okay to do that actually defeats the greater purpose. You got to get that out. And so I get it out and then I just throw myself back in. And I remember the amazing students that I have the great fortune to work with. And uh, these, these students inspire me every day. I mean, I have, I have a gal who came into the program and if you'd asked her what she wanted to do, she would have told you she was going to be a professional lacrosse player. Okay, look, I didn't know they had professional lacrosse for men, nevertheless women, (laughs) (laughs) but that was her thing. And now she is applying to go to the school to study aerospace engineering. And she was our space camp, our first ever space camp scholarship winner. And I look at what she's accomplishing and I realized that I was very fortunate for my orbit to have crossed with hers and have been able to play a little part in that. And so after I, you know, have my, my cupcake and, and my cry or my wine, I, I pick myself up and I remind myself of things like that. I live by it that failure must be an option. In fact, that's the title of my, or the topic of my TEDx talk I did last year, but you only truly fail when you give up. Mm-hmm. And so we'll hit, I hit roadblocks and I eat my cupcake and then I just keep pushing on. All that is very moving and, and, and important. But my real question is, if you had to pick one cupcake or wine, which which is it? Oh, God, you just asked me like the most impossible question. I got to go with wine. I mean, oh. I, going without cupcakes would kill Man, me, but tough. going without wine, I, I just don't think I can do it. I'm I not built that way. All right. That was, I was going to ask you a follow-up about donuts, but we already got the wine thing, so it's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Donut with white icing and sprinkles. That's what I wanted to know. Sprinkle. There you go. Amazing. Gotta have sprinkle. Thank Do you, you tell her about the one we get from downstairs? We get <gasps> a we get a donut from uh, the coffee shop downstairs. Uh, I mean, every, every podcast. Uh, it's yep. a Samoa donut. You know, Girl Scout cookies are Samoas. Yeah. It tastes like that. And caramel. But it's a donut. It's phenomenal. And I never even want it. And Brian goes, we'll have one of those. And I'm like, well, fine. I, I mean, take donut over wine any day. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Uh, well, now I tough. know what to show up it's with tough. when I show up to your office. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to come here. Um, um, <laughs> just a couple more, Michelle. Michelle, how do you consume the news? Uh, if I'm very honest, lately, very carefully, because I just get so angry at the news these yeah. days that I take it in small doses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try and read a variety of different, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, sources. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all online. Um, that's about the only way I, I, yeah. we get a local paper to our houses 
just um, so I get some local news that way. But in general, I go to specific websites. I turn on the TV sometimes. Once I hear a topic that I'm interested in, I try and dig into that specifically. And I purposely try and go to four or five different sources. So I'm not just hearing what I think I want to hear. Yeah, got to. All right. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would it be? Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me questions like this. My students might listen to this. Okay. Um, I hope I so. Amazon Prime was, yeah, but I should, that which means I should probably be careful in how I answer this. Got it. Got um, it. I, would, I would probably Amazon Prime him, oh, the right stuff. Oh, because it's nice. such a story of being willing to be trailblazers and start something big and new. And I don't, I, it's, it's one of my favorite books and it's, it's quintessential, the beginning of the space program and the space race. And I am excited that this administration is behind us going to the moon by 2024. And I think we have to embrace some of the mentality of the original Mercury 7 when it comes to flying in space, because it's not always going to go the way we expect it to. And so I think I would say the right stuff. Awesome answer. Such a good one. Uh, this can be quick, but you've basically forced me to ask you, mm-hmm. which Big Bang Theory character are you? <laughs> um, I actually, I think I'm Penny. I, it, it's funny because I have people say they think I'm like smart, which I would debate. I don't know that I am. I think I'm a lot more street smart than I am book smart. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Penny. Boom. I'm okay. not as cute as she is, though. We're just going to stay out of that <laughs> one entirely. <laughs> See, I uh, set you up on that one. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Way to go, Brian. All right. <sighs> well done. Uh, <laughs> 68 episodes. It was a good run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, where can our listeners follow you online in a professional, uh, you know, not follow you, follow yeah, you, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like yeah, the kids say. generally inappropriate, but yep. you know, hey, it's all good. Uh, so www.higherorbit.org. Uh, we are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Higher Orbit, H-I-G-H-E-R-O-R-B-I-T-S. And I have a Twitter handle, Space Shell, S-P-A-C-E-C-H-E-L-L-E. And so those are all the places you can find us. Um, That is awesome. Well, we just want to thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing, all that that you've done, all that you do, and all that you're, uh, you're, you're going to do. Uh, Changing the world, changing the universe out there. Uh, Brian, she specifically asked us not to sing happy birthday. Should we? You probably. <laughs> Should we do it? Should we keep her on? The, how how, how yeah, far wait. through happy birthday till she hangs till up? Till she just hangs up? Yeah. Till she starts I, just I, taking that wine I down. I need a far. glass of wine for this. Yeah, I think. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Oh, we are. Yeah, we're doing oh, it. Got it. Ready? <laughs> yeah. One, two, three, go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Michelle. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Well, it's my first ever podcast and my first ever happy birthday on a podcast. So thanks, I think. Well, we all make mistakes, Michelle. Um, Brian is definitely the one that was uh, uh, in tune on that one. He was uh, part of a fake boy band for a little while. I'll send you you links. It's pretty fantastic. Um, Michelle, thank you. Have an awesome birthday. Thank you for all you're doing. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a great one.
Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.